Good morning and welcome to the Talent Cast. Today, film strips, lectures, and other things we'd much rather forget about 10th grade health. Howdy! Welcome to the Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I, am always, am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus, we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We've instituted a 100% no-pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, you can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, as always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at thetalentcast.com. Thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. Hi, it's James Ellis. Welcome to the Talent Cast. How you doing? It is Monday morning, bright and early here at the bunker or the lair. I should call it, give this place a name. That makes more sense. Uh, coffee's still kicking in, so we're gonna get started anyway. I want to talk about. Well, let's let's before I dive into that, I want, I'm gonna talk about stories. That's a given. Uh, but I want to start with let's just all get on the same ground, same get on the same page, as it were. Uh, can we all just, as a culture, as a society, as a community, just agree the job descriptions are? atrocious can, can we just be okay with that they're serving the wrong purpose they're legal documents they're technical documents masquerading as marketing materials and it's not doing anybody any good uh can we just go ahead and say yeah they're, they're not working okay good good, good 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 all right so now we're on the same page <laughs> and let's be fair they're not working as marketing material i'm not saying they're not working as technical documents or as legal documents they're doing a fine job because i don't care because i'm not a lawyer and i'm not here to worry about the technical technical specs of your job. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help market your jobs. And the problem is, is because we walk into these companies and we have all these job descriptions littering the, our field of view. We assume we have to use them and the truth is we don't. The truth is they're just there to what exactly? Um, you know, you're, you're incentivized to put things like EOE boilerplates and corporate boilerplates and requirements of who's allowed to apply as if anybody reads that stuff. Um, as if your inbox isn't, or ATS isn't filled with people who are poor applicants at every conceivable level uh, because they didn't even read the requirements. So what's the purpose of this thing? How are they, how are they doing a good job? Well, they're, they're doing a good job because at some point you get to say, this job does X, Y, and Z. And a year from now, after you hire that person, they say, okay, I'd like a promotion because I did X, Y, and Z really, 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 really well. You can't say, yeah, but you didn't do A. And that begins a whole other HR thing. And I don't want to get into that. What I want to talk about is if we're not going to use these documents as the primary coin of the realm piece of material by which we market our jobs and let's all agree and embrace this idea that we shouldn't um what's left what are we talking about how do we know how do how do we know and i i always use this you know semi um jokingly mockingly cute little story in that if you look at the job for a project manager at least this was true a couple years ago if you looked at the job for a project manager out of google and looked at the job for a project manager out of american standard they're gonna look like 90% the same job. 
you know, you take out the corporate boilerplate and some of the requirements, and they're roughly the same job because project managers do what project managers do, right? But Google's Google. It is the number one place everybody wants to work, and we can talk about whether that's right or not. Um, but American Standards makes toilets and 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 and, and, and um, ceramics. You can't say that because the job descriptions are the same, thus the jobs are the same, because they're not. They're working at two very different places. They're two very different sets of opportunities, two very different sets of, of work experiences. And if that stuff never really shows up in the job description, right, that job description is that legal translated into the Icelandic, translated into the Japanese, translated back into the English, and then rewritten by a, a robot kind of language that means nothing and we don't really read it. So what's left? What's, you know, what, how do we say this is what this job is all about and this is why you should apply for a job? Now, obviously, let's do – we can talk about EVP. I think it's powerful. It's useful. It's valuable stuff. And you know, we can quibble over whether or not an employer value proposition or employer brand is an, a completely distinct thing, thing from a brand, uh, a corporate brand or not. I've, I've had some very interesting conversation with some friends lately to make me go, hmm, I wonder if they are separate or I wonder if they're not. That's interesting. I hadn't really considered that. And that's all well and good, but a good brand, you know, we everyone uses Coca-Cola. The, the shape of the bottle's gray. The logo that's sweeping, wiggly, taily kind of bit cool doesn't tell me what the experience is like. It doesn't tell me why I work there. Um, if I've drunk the drink, and I had to think about the verbiage right there real quick, um, and I had a positive experience. It tasted delicious. It was refreshing on a hot day. It was effervescent and sparkly and all that good stuff. And I put a little booze in it maybe one day, and that was really nice too. And, and while I'm doing that, I'm staring at a, a Coke-like logo. It makes me feel like, ah, Coke is about refreshment. Great. Good job. What does that tell me about the digital marketer job? Nothing. So employer brand's a thing, but it's really not a thing. It's, it's, it's the beginning of a thing. It's a platform for a thing. It's a space for a thing to be created. It's a series of rules about which the thing itself will be created. So well, let's talk about the thing. Let's talk about the thing that a prospect is going to read or see or absorb and go, oh, yeah, I want to work there. Or, oh, <laughs> no, 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 thank you. Um, so to that end, I want to talk about what I call the recruitment marketing hierarchy or recruitment content hierarchy. And that is what are the messages that a good prospect, and I'm not talking about button push and entry level people who are going by the law of big numbers and just hitting apply wherever they can just in the hopes that someone, somewhere, please call me. Um, I'm talking about people who can be a little selective, people who are picky, who have some skills that you want, um, where it's not a one-way street where you have all the power and they are just simply hoping like a chorus girl in a 70s musical to be picked um, out of a line of a million people. They are special on some level. They're valuable on some level. They're useful on some level beyond the fact that they're a body and they can do the thing. They bring something else to the table. So they you don't have all the power anymore, right? They have some of the power and that shifting line of power shifts every day and the more the economy gets better the more the that line shifts away from you and more towards them um as well as many 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 other facts um so if that's happening if the if the power ship shifting away from you how do you tell that story how do you get them to apply to you and so we start to think about what are the pieces of information that these people need to know or the questions they're really asking in order to even consider you right to decide, yes, I'm going to apply here, or no, no thanks, I, wow, that would be a horrible mistake. So you start with the basics, and we're going to go back to brand here because let's, it starts with the brand. I said the brand is effectively a platform for the rest of your stuff, but it's still 
got stuff in it in and of itself. So, you know, the joke I make, and I don't want to get too political about this, is that, and, you know, screaming liberal that I may be, um, if I found the greatest job in the world and it turns out it's working for the NRA, thanks for, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And no, I'm not really, don't care how you pay. And I'm sure there's a conservative person somewhere who went, oh, yeah, I don't care how much you want to pay me, PETA. No, thank you. No, gracias. Uh, I'm sure that's a wonderful opportunity for somebody else, but thank you, but no. Uh, it, but it starts with the brand. It doesn't have to be that austere and that, you know, black and white. It can be something as simple as Coke versus Pepsi, or it can be something as simple as, you know, this is a company that's starting something, or it's new, or it's growing, or I've heard of this company, or somebody said something positive about that. All that stuff is connected to the brand, the employer brand. Why do you work there? You know, whether you've shown up in the local 50 best places to work for in your city of choice articles or, you know, Glassdoor's talking about you or, um, you know, you won an award for some great work. All that stuff is connected to the brand. It's about, look, is this a brand that's, and, and, and let's remember, it's not just about good versus bad, right? You know, just because I went PETA and NRI, NRA, NRA the, the dichot, you know, it's completely separate dichotomy separations there, it can be as simple as, um, fit. It can be as simple as, yes, this sounds like me. Remember that there are eight motivations that people drive towards, that make people drive in, in the job search space, and that is, you know, is there a work-life balance? Is this a place of status? Is this a place where I can be supported? Is this a place where I can grow my career? Is this a place where I'm going to make a boat ton of money? Is this a place where I get to make an impact? There are all these motivating factors that pe that drive people to say yes or no to things. The reason why people end up at a nonprofit is not just because they said, I quit, I'm bored, I'm done, and I want someplace to crash because having worked at nonprofits, they are not what you'd call easy jobs in any way, shape, or form. They are not second-tier second jobs on a lot of levels. Um, but pe people choose them. People choose to take a pay cut to work at a nonprofit. Why? There are reasons in the same way that people choose to work jobs that are 80-hour workdays because they think, what, something, something's motivating them, whether it's money, whether it's the future, whether it's an opportunity at the end of a year or two of time of just near slave labor. There's a motivating factor, and the thing you have to do on a brand level is connect that motivation with their motivation, what you offer and what they want. So if you're all about work-life balance, congratulations. People who are all about status and money are not going to apply to you. And you know what? That's great. You don't want them. They were never going to be a good fit anyway. If you're a, a culture of supporting people and you hire a shark, the shark is either going to kill the rest of those little minnows or get spit out by the larger group. And either way, it's a failure on every conceivable level. So don't, right? It's not that the shark is bad. The shark is going to be great someplace in another office of sharks, in another office where sharks are desired and needed and wanted, right? In a culture of sharks, in a culture of 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 let's let's all get do this together and figure this out together it's all about teamwork you know it's not about i it's all about we that's so you need to find someone who's all about we who wants to play a part who wants to be a team player who isn't as interested in the spotlight isn't interested as interested in the individual achievement aspects of that part of the work and Again, not good or bad. Everybody seems to, you know, when I talk about this stuff, everybody seems to mentally assign a good versus bad. And if I, and if you do that, that is on you, mon frere. That is just you. That is you saying, I am a shark, and therefore all non-sharks are bad. No, no. It's a saying, I'm a team player, and all non-team, all sharks are bad. No, it's, look, you know, take it straight up. Goldman Sachs is looking for sharks, right? They're all about status and money. Good for them. Good for them. I mean, there's there's issues there, but not you know nothing I want to discuss here. But those people, that's where they want to go. They don't go working in the Red Cross. 
People who ride cross are all about something very, very different and good for them. That's what they want, okay? So you have to really understand what is the brand, what does it stand for, what is its mission, uh, what is this all about, and you have to align those and connect those dots. And that's just the baseline. And if you can't do that, you've said goodbye to every possible positive, useful, valuable prospect, okay? You've got to start there. Once you've established the brand, though, what's next, okay? Uh, the brand content, by the way, and the stories about the brand, the stories you tell about the brand are usually the easiest to tell because, one, you've got either a marketing team or a recruitment marketing team there and dedicated to defining and telling that story, right? You've got resources. They're spread across every career area and job type and, and, and department and location. You know, what Coke is all about. I'm sorry I keep going back to Coke. I'm, not, I'm actually a Pepsi drinker, it turns out, so I don't know where this is coming from. Sorry for the free advertisement to, for, to Coke for a drink I don't really care about. Um, and now you know too much about me. Um, <laughs> coffee. I always know when to drink a coffee when I'm like, oh, here's an aside. Why the heck did I just say that? I don't know. Coffee. Ah, eh, not my best cup. Anywho, um, talking about brand. Oh, yeah, so um, how do you activate that brand? Oh, you've got these teams of marketers and recruit marketers who activate it across the entire brand. The brand is not different per se between your marketing team and your HR team. Now, when you get in the nitty-gritty of it, yes, it is. These are very different teams, but the brand of the company is the same, right? Uh, and you've got the resources and you've got people who think about it and tell that story. So usually when we build content around a company and a, and a job, and the brand content's the easy stuff because you build one page about the brand telling some story about the brand and it applies to everybody. It's like the easiest job to do. It's the easiest part of this process. Um, it creates the illusion of value across everybody's uh, job. So, But once you have that, what's next? Okay, well... We get nitty gritty. We go with location. We talk about location, and we don't talk about it just in "Are you in Chicago versus Cleveland or Columbus versus New York?" Uh, we talk about it as really, where is this job? What is the job? Where? What is the location? The geography? The logistics of this job? Can I? Do I have to drive there? Is there a parking lot? Uh, do I have? To, do, can I walk there? Is it trainable or bikeable or walk? You know, or or, or or busable? Is this out in the boonies in, a, in an industrial park and I'm going to have to have a car and I'm going to be isolated from everything? Or is this downtown and I'm going to have to train it in or bus it in and I'm going to have to walk a couple blocks or maybe a lot, a lot more than a couple blocks to get to work, but I'm surrounded by lunch options and coffee options and shopping options and all sorts of stuff. Is this a place that's going to be near my daycare? Is this a place that's going to be near my vet or doctor? Is this a place that's going to effectively change my life physically because I have to spend so much time in the car, in the public transport to figure out how to get from place to place to place. What is the location of this job? Now, I always joke, you know, about coffee, but, you know, whatever. Um, that's what the job is. So you need to talk about the location. And, and, and applying a map is a good start, but it's not the whole Megillah. Like you really do need to tell those stories of, look, this is our new location. Here are pictures of our office. Here are people in the office. Here are some cool features we built within the office. And I don't mean you have to be Google or have to have some sort of, you know, fire pole or slide to get from floor to floor like, a, like your children or something. I mean, hey, look, we've got a nice little view, or hey, we've got good computers here, or hey, we've got really nice ergodynamic chairs because you've got to sit in them for eight to 10 hours a day, and we actually care about your back. Or, you know what, this office is just filled with art by children, and that's kind of cool, and that's just a thing we do, and that's what we're all about. Okay, great. All those things are good, useful, valuable ways of telling your location story, and you should tell that story. Okay, so now that you've defined the brand, and now that you've defined the location, 
you got to talk about the job itself, right? Okay, you know, you're working your way up the channel. Um, the job itself is not the job description. As we talked about, it's it's not what it is. You need to talk about something more. You need to talk about um, what is the job really about. Now, I mean, like I said, if you break down a job description, remember, you take out the EOE, you take out the corporate boilerplate, you take out the requirements, which are about who's allowed to apply. You're really looking about two to four sentences about what that job is on average, right? Um Hiring managers hate to write job descriptions. HR people are, are in, in talent acquisition not in a position to write good job descriptions because they don't necessarily know what the job is. Uh, you got a huge gap in this space. A well-written job description answers so many questions and gets people in the right to to get people to understand what the job is. One of my favorite job descriptions, um, Tim Ferriss. For those of you who read uh, or listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast or read any of his books. Um, he wrote a job description for, a, I want to say it's a personal assistant if I'm remembering this correctly. And he, he starts off by saying, look, and he knows he's kind of semi-famous in this weird kind of way, in this weird kind of space. And there's a whole bunch of um, geeks who would uh, love this job, would like the opportunity to work with him because it puts them in touch with movers and shakers in Silicon Valley and life hacking spaces and all sorts of other stuff. It's, it would be whatever it is. Whether it, whether, whatever it pays, it's, a, it's probably a heck of an opportunity. He starts off by saying, you're going to hate this job. That's effectively the headline of his job description. You're going to hate this job. Here are all the ways in which your this job is going to suck. I'm going to call you at two th- two of one in the morning with a request and expect it to get done by five o'clock. I'm you know, and he would just starts to lay out. Here's how this job is gonna suck. And wow, that's powerful. He's saying he's embracing this idea that I don't want a million applicants. I want five. And I'll pick the best of the five who make who for whom this makes sense. I don't want people who go, oh, Tim Ferriss, he's famous, cool, click apply. Uh, that because that's f- three minutes out of his day, he's got to wade through it and go, ugh, no. And as a recruiter, as a hiring manager, you understand that feeling. You're saying, oh, yet another person who has no freaking clue what this job was, and they hit apply anyway. Thanks for wasting my time. I'm so glad we made it so easy for you to waste my time. Um, it sucks. So. He played defense on these job descriptions. He made it so hard for you to, you know, he made it, this job sounds so horrible. You had to really read between the lines to say, I see what the value is. I see what the opportunity is. Uh, And I'm not saying you should all write, here's why your job is going to suck because I think that's horrible for your employer brand. And I think Tim's case was interestingly different and independent and anomaly, I guess, on many cases. However, man, I would love it if more, more and more companies embraced this idea of like, hey, look, Here's one thing that you're not going to like about this job. It requires a boat ton of travel. It requires people screaming at you on the phone. Um, it requires um, long, long, long hours of isolation dealing on a project that you don't know that will ever have an answer. These are all things that for whom most people go, no, I don't want that. Um, but for some people, a handful, a, a very, very small minority people go, yeah, 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 I'm good with that. Yeah, that. no, I'm totally fine with that. You know, Some people need collaboration some people need independent space and and saying what's there and what you might not like about it and framing it in terms of this is what you won't like yes you're going to have less applicants but if number of applicants is your metric you're doing this wrong right you're not there to find a million applicants you're there to find the one in a million applicant that's what you're here for you're here to find quality not quantity so put a little negative spin on some of your job descriptions talk about this this job look it's not all sunshine and roses it's not all the stock art of of people smiling and jumping up and down with happiness and glee it's not women laughing while eating salads level of happiness every day some days job sucks because every job every once in a while 
sucks. <laughs> no job is perfect. I have not seen it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just missing something and I'm a horrible person. I just miss how wonderful every single job I've ever had has been. But, and usually most of them are. And every single one of them has had in some way or fashion sucked. And I would like to think, I like to think, maybe I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, that you would agree. Anyway, so talk about why the job's going to suck because I think that does a great job of defining who would be good at it. It does a great job defining what the job really is. It doesn't paint it in, if not sunshine and roses, you know, the, most of these job descriptions are worded so vaguely that you can read them and go, I read this seven times. I still don't know what I'm going to spend my time doing. I still don't know what's expected of me. Am I reporting to the C-suite or am I reporting to the janitor? I can't quite figure this out. I can't quite figure out what the value of this work is or who does it connect, what other work does it connect with? Or how do I know that I'm doing a good job? Or how do I know that my work has value and meaning to the company or to the client or to me or whatever, somebody, anybody? What is the job really? And that's what you have to do. And you have to really tell the story of that job. What is that job? And there are plenty of ways to tell that story outside of a, and I, outside of a job description as if the job description is doing any good in there. Um, you know, obviously the, jump, the first one I always jump to is day in the life. You know, talk about, you've got a data processor or a risk analyst, show what they do all day. You know, take snapshots of their calendar and say, okay, here's how you break up your time. And hey, look, this is a job that has 17 meetings a day. And there are 20, and 80% of the people who look at that will go, and will run screaming. And good that they do it before they apply and before they waste your time because they would have run screaming in the interview after you already called them and talked to them and, and prepped them. That's a waste of your time. So send them screaming now, right? Um, let them know a little bit about the good and the bad and the ugly. You know, let the story, let the opportunity, let the person who's doing that job give the spin on how it can be positive of how who work, who makes sense in this job and why they're going to be happier and what about this job makes them happy. Let them spin that. But don't be afraid to, to show a couple of warts on it because that makes it real. Okay. So you've got the brand, the location, the job. Above that is the job experience. What are you, what's it like working at that company? What's it like being there? Beyond the brand of collaboration versus sharks. What's it really like? Who are your coworkers? Who's your boss? Um, you know, what's the experience of being there? I, I'm thinking of a, of a company I, I did some work for many years ago, where they had regional salespeople who talked, who went to and sold to um, independent um, pharmacies all across the country, and they had a, a, a territory. There were 300 of them across the country, and they had these little territories all across the country, and they only saw the other people who worked there and their boss once a year when they all came together for uh, reviews and a corporate retreat, right? 51 year weeks out of the year, they were on their own in their car talking to pharmacy owners. That's a very particular job. That is an experience, right? My job and your job, radically different, I'm guessing, than the experience of sitting in your car 51 weeks a year talking to pharmacists who are not you know connected to the big chains right and they want to talk about the price of ace bandages or they want to talk about um generic pills or they want to talk about hey we get, we're getting low on uh eye drops or something i don't know um that's a job that's a very particular job and there's somebody there there's somebody out there who's going to just kill that job who's going to just ace that job who's going to make a just just turn it on like it's the best thing ever and you don't know how to find them because 
you're not talking about what the job's really like because you get 100 applicants who think this is a salesperson job and they can do it from home or they can do it from their phone or that they never get in their car. They meet their, you know, their clients all come to them and that's not what that job is. So what's the experience of the job? Now, um, on top of having these four ideas, you have to layer them out the right way. You have to start by saying, what is the brand? You have to start by saying, this is who you are. And again, NRA versus PETA, you have to say, this is who we are and this is who we stand for. Because if you skip that part and you do have that, here's the greatest job in the world. Oh, it turns out it's NRA. Oh, I did not realize. Thanks for playing. I feel gypped. I feel a little, I feel a little jerked around. And, and any negative impression I have of that particular brand has just been exacerbated <laughs> because you've been a jerk to me by lying to me or obfuscating the truth. So you start by saying this is the brand. This is where we are. This is how you get here. This is what the job is every day. And this is the these are the people who do it and this is the kind of experience they have. They work in order in that kind of hierarchical model. And this is why I say it's a hierarchical. And I think back to 10th grade health class when everybody learned Maslow's hierarchy of needs and everybody said, okay, it's all about I got to get air and then water and food and then I get to get shelter and then I get to get um, – I, I get to find some sort of – I don't know, I, I make jewelry now and clothes that you know work in different environments. And then I find a group of people who I connect with and who get me and then I fall in love and I find some sort of level of self-satisfaction or self-activation, right? They work on top of each other. You can't be worrying about making jewelry when your house is burning down. You can't be worried about love when you have no food, right? You have to build on it. You have to start with the ground floor and work your way up. Same way with this kind of content. If you start by saying, here's an amazing job experience, and you skip over the brand location and the job, you're, you're one, you look like a weirdo. You look like you're trying to pull, one, pull a fast one by only showing the cool stuff, by only showing the advanced features of something, and you're not talking about the basics of this is the brand, this is where we are, this is what the job is, this is what's going on. You have to do the due diligence. You have to do the baseline stuff. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You just sound like you're talking craziness out of your, you know, out of nowhere. So you have to work and step up each level. Build the content about your brand. Leverage what your recruitment marketers and marketing teams are already doing. Put it on your website. Make it easy to find. Talk about it on social media. Talk about it on other channels. Get it out there. But that's a very, very broad piece of content. You need to go up a step. Okay, everybody in Massachusetts or Boston or whatever it is, here's some stories about you. And then you target it to people on Facebook in Boston or the Massachusetts Boston metropolitan area. Are you talking about, um, you know, you try and get it connected to Boston magazines or people in Boston to share it because it's a Boston story. Hey, people in Boston, you might like this job in Boston because we're telling an interesting story about what things happen in Boston and what kind of job we're doing in Boston, right? Then you talk about what's the job. Hey, data analysts. Hey, risk analysts. Hey, uh, whatever it is, salespeople. Then you can tell a story. Now, once you get to this level, you can start to tell more interesting stories beyond this is what our location is. Now, there are plenty of good stories about location. And these are stories that usually involve um, we have slides to go from floor two to floor one or fire poles. And we have massage rooms and jelly beans and all this other good stuff. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be. I think I think the Muse does a great job kind of showcasing what offices are like or uh, all the different kinds of offices. And there's even lawyer offices, which are, you know, not exactly known for their, we're going to go down the fire pole uh, level of, of, of frivolity that are still gorgeous and pretty and wonderful and warm and open. And, you know, people like working there. So why can't you talk about that story? Talk about that story. But really more importantly, you have to tell it as a story, not as a marketing tool, not as a, hey, here's this thing you didn't ask about us. 
We're going to tell it to you. We're going to force feed it to you. We're going to interrupt your normal feed of Facebook or Twitter or the web or whatever and interrupt your day and try and force feed you this story that you have no interest in, right? That's not a great way to do it. And that's unfortunately the way most advertising and marketing works is that we're all about interrupting someone's day to force feed them a story that they don't really want. And, you know, when you put it in a cab or you put it in the back of an airplane or you put it as an interstitial before you read the article, it's a way of forcing you to see this thing. And really all we're trying to, most of us are trying to do is try to ignore as much of that as possible. If I want that story, trust me, I will find that story. I will go find it. So you have to tell it in a story that is so attractive and interesting that when it is shown to me that I go, huh, oh, that's interesting. It's not a pitch. It's not a marketing ploy. It's a, hey, I'm telling you something that might be useful useful to you. And if it's, let's, let's say it's the story about the Boston office and you've got a data, a data and analyst studio in Boston and yes, you're hiring, but you never ever say you're hiring. You talk about, look, this is why these people do their jobs here. This is the kind of story of, of, of Jenny and why Jenny does this job and why Jenny spends time doing this. And this really cool thing, by the way, that Jenny did, which turns out is very unusual and it, it changed things and it really kind of opens up an opportunity for somebody to blah, 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 blah. You're telling Jenny's story. Now, Jenny's story can talk about the brand, the location, the job, and the job experience and telling it in a very personal way, right? You're doing one piece of content that's running the entire gamut of that hierarchy, telling all the pieces of it because they can all connect. And when we try to kind of separate them out, that's when we get in trouble. We try to say, okay, I checked that box, I checked that box. I filled some space up with some brand stuff and I filled some space up with some location stuff. Okay, I guess I'm good. No, you can always tell the story more interestingly. You can always tell the story more valuably where it's connecting on a personal level because this reading a book, reading a pamphlet rather, reading a brochure is not a story right? You know that you're reading a marketing material collateral thing. You know it's marketing. You know it's there to sell you something. A story should never feel like it's selling you something, right? I think, you know, you go to, on on every possible level, every good advertisement or every commercial I've ever seen, it starts with a story that says, is this like you, right? You know, whether it's the housewife who's complaining about dish, dish pan hands, is that it's trying to appeal to other women who go, oh, I, you know, I, I work so hard to maintain my beauty. Uh, you know, here it is in 19, early 1960s, early 1970s. I remember the commercial, so it had to have been 70s. Um, you know, I'm trying to retain my beauty. The world is changing. I might have to go to work. I'm trying to, re- you know, worry about this. But, ugh, it's all being ruined by I have these hands and they feel so stupid after I have to wash my hands. Ugh, won't somebody save me? And here are some gloves. Oh, don't use rubber gloves. Use, what was it, palm olive? Um, he wrote, was it Rosie? I can't remember. It's a long time ago. Anyway, it's a story. It's trying to connect with someone to say, isn't this like you? Every bad infomercial where someone's trying to open up a can of pickles and it looks like they got 14 thumbs when they're doing it, like they've never actually opened a jar of pickles in their life. Um, and, they, and, and then eventually they do and somehow they manage to spill the pickles like 14 feet in the air. You know, those are real. That, you know, they're trying to say, isn't this like you? Has this ever happened to you? You know, it's like that line. You're like, oh, no, I've never felt that stupid or looked that stupid in my life. I've, you know, been drunk and sleepwalking. I've never looked that dumb in my life. Be a human. Um, you need to tell a story that makes people say, yes, that does sound like me or that is something I'm interested in or that is something valuable. And so if you're trying to reach Boston data analysts, talk with Boston data analysts, even just data analysts and then talk about later, you can kind of connect that dot to Boston. But you're telling a story. It's not about work here, work here, work here, apply here, apply here, apply here, join our talent community, join our talent community. It's about tell a story, tell a legitimate story. 
And as you go back to one of our previous episodes about the arc of a story, it's about someone going on a journey, learning about who they are, learning about something they want, going out, finding it, and becoming a better or different person for it, right? Um, there's a great video I just saw. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Dan Harmon, who did Community and a bunch of other stuff, he has a arc. It's an eight-step story arc. It's super fascinating. It's really, it's a really good video. You should spend, you know, whatever, five, ten minutes watching the thing um, to just get the nitty-gritty of a story. And you can look at it and say, okay, I want to tell the story of Jenny, going back to that. You know, I want to tell the story of Jenny, how she wanted to learn more. She wanted to grow. She wanted to change. She wanted to solve this problem. And here she is, just this quote-unquote data analyst. And wow, 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 how can she possibly? But then she discovered this thing. Or then she spent a little time thinking about this. Or then she took a class on that. And she learned about how these two things connect. And suddenly she's doing these things. And suddenly the company is investing in her to do these things more. And, 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 and. And you can see a very quick story arc. That's the sort of thing that gets shared, right? You know, here's another job description, does not. So those are the stories we tell. Those are the stories we need to be telling more and more often. Um, that's the stuff that's going to work. And the truth is, as we grow, as, as the economy grows, as regardless of what the presidency thing holds, and I'm not even going to get into that, I'm not going to touch it, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for all the best for the future. Um, however, talent will always be talent. Talent will always require a little more than just here. Here's a button, hit apply. Great, we got your application. Now we're in charge. It's never going to be like that again. The internet, all this other stuff has made it too open. It's too complicated. It's too messy. There's too much information out there of how people can find you. More ways for people to say no to you than they are to say you, you to them. So you have to walk away from the job description and getting the job description, the reach of the job description as the primary motivating factor of what you do. It's really about telling a story and get people to go, oh, interesting and that sounds stupid it sounds hackneyed and trite but it's true you have to get someone to go huh that's oh wow okay that's that's right there that's an emotional kind of connection and once you have that the rest of it kind of figures itself out and or at least if not you can certainly you know how to figure that part out you've got that optimized but you have to create and start with that emotional connection because that's what stories are they're emotional connectors that's why we love star wars that's why we love uh, you know, Goonies. That's why we love uh, 27 Dresses. That's why we love, you know, Grey's Anatomy. It's an emotional connection. You know, you take those stories. I think back to Lost and I think back to the first five and a half seasons. For those of you who remember the TV show Lost, oh, there's a polar bear in the, in the jungle. Oh, there's a smoke monster. Oh, there's a mysterious hatch. Oh, there's, you know, ever, these people have amazingly weird connections that no one understands mystery upon mystery upon mystery upon mystery and and after two or three years the audience you know wisely said are you sure you know what you're doing here are you just packing this box full of mysteries without any sense of planning or purpose oh no 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 we know what we're doing we know what we got a plan we got a plan we got a plan we know what's going on we got the whole thing scripted we know exactly what's gonna it's we're gonna have clarity and conclusion at the end of it okay if you say so and another year and another year and suddenly it's three it's a four-toed statue and uh, uh, stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff and craziness ensues. And yet another group of people who've been on this island the whole time and no one ever noticed. Um, season six, the final season, starts clicking through. They introduce these other characters, you know, the what seemed like a god and a devil type of character. And you're like, what the heck is going on here? And then my favorite part, halfway through the sixth season, They've been telling you this whole time. Oh, we got a plan. We got a plan. We got a plan. They say, you know what? 
turns out it's not that we don't have a plan it's that you don't care about the plan what you care about is the relationship with his characters and these the love stories between these three people and how these people met and how they're going to fall in love and be forever and like whoa 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 this wasn't a story about people falling in love and emotional stories this was a story about polar bears and smoke monsters what the heck is this this was bait and switch they tried to get you hooked because they couldn't find a way to make the emotional story interesting enough to get you to show up um, despite a plane crash in a mysterious island. They focused on the mysteries. And then over five and a half seasons, they thought that they had invested enough in the relationships to say, it turns out it's an emotional story, not about the mysteries, to which I say, after five and a half years, I think we know who your audience should know who they are. And they're all about the mysteries. And they, you, 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 you pulled a bait and switch, and I'm forever mad at the producers of that show. But you can't do that. You have to say, look, this is an emotional story. You have to say, this is who we are. It's about the Jenny or the Bob or the Patel or the Neil or whatever. It's about these people and the work they do and how it impacts their life. And that's an emotional story. Even if we're HR, even if we're talent acquisition and our lives are not particularly owned by the emotional part of it, we need to invest emotion into these stories because that's what connects. That's what gets shared. That's what people want to know. Yes, Google talks about you know, everybody knows about the Google massage rooms and the M&Ms and the coffee and all that good stuff. But the emotional connection to that stuff is these are people who put their lives on hold, invested in Google because in Google, Google invested in them and Google did right by them by surrounding them full of tiny little goofy luxuries that made their lives a little easier. It was a, a story of an employee who gave everything they could give and instead of the company saying, thanks for playing, got to go by, the company says, we really appreciate it. We got your back. Here's something in return. Here's something that's going to make your life a little easier. That's the story of Google. That's the emotional core story of working at Google, right? Yes, massages are nice, but if you hate what you're doing all day long, if you don't feel satisfied and fulfilled, the massage doesn't get you through the whole day. That's the emotional core of Google, for example. All right, so those are the stories you got to tell. Those are the stories you need to be looking for and listening for and collecting. And we can talk about later um, how do you actually use them. I think the next episode is going to be a bit more about the future, um, what's going to happen, where we're going, and all that good stuff. So maybe a good time for a resolution. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Otherwise, if you have any questions or comments or complaints or issues or, I don't know, anything you want to talk to me about, just Twitter me. I'm at the War for Talent. Uh, or you can go to thetalentcast.com, and that's a website, uh, you know, because it ends in .com. And just find all the different ways you can hand to contact me and, and, and ping me and tell me whatever you got to tell me. Um, you know, last episode was answering a question. That was a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again. Uh, but we'll keep chugging along and see what we can do. I would love the feedback. And any uh, if you can review us on Apple, iTunes, or uh, Google Play, we'd love that too. So until next week, I will talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Bye. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.